Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, there were no games last night, but it was the next best thing. It was the NFL draft, so I watched it. It's not the game, but it's the game within the game, and that's good enough. And, of course, on the local scene, the question was, would Jalen Johnson go in the first round, the Utah cornerback? Would the Utah State quarterback Jordan Love go in the first round? Both, neither. Threw that poll question up, and 24% of you got it right. Jordan Love went in the first round, but Jalen Johnson did not. And I always thought that Jordan Love was the tougher one to pick as a first-rounder because, well, there were actually two reasons. One, he's got the arm, he's got the body, and you know guys are going to go for him and he's going to be you know, there's always teams out there who need a quarterback, whether they need one right now or they need one because they got a veteran guy and they're going to need one in two or three years. And he goes to Green Bay, which is really more of the second because Aaron Rodgers is obviously, you know, coming off a very good year. But he's 36 and he's going to turn 37 December 2nd. Now, maybe he'll be Tom Brady and be out there at 42, planning to play at 43. But the odds are you better start preparing. And so Green Bay trades up. And you know, if if one team passes on you, you can fall a long way, and you don't have to go any further than, you know, the Packers roster and Aaron Rodgers, because that's what happened to him when he got drafted. So in my mind, it was always a bit riskier to say, you know, Jordan Love, because you play one quarterback, whereas with the corners, you play two, and you better have a third, because you're going to face three receiver sets, and you're going to have injuries, so you better have a fourth. So you just need more corners. But Jalen Johnson's still on the board, and I expect he'll go tonight early in the second round, and we'll all be watching, because there aren't going to be games done tonight, but it'll be the draft, and it's the game within the game, and that's the next best thing. Uh, Speaking of the game within the game, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about the Utes getting nine guys uh, drafted. If it is that many, I think it'll be at least six. I don't think anyone believes it'll be less than six. Um, I think there's five guys who are I'm really sure they're going to get drafted. And then there's four guys who are kind of on the bubble, maybe five guys who are kind of on the bubble. And how many of them do you think will get drafted? And so people are picking six, seven, eight, nine, whatever. And we were talking about how those NFL guys translate to wins. PK had a list of the Pac-12. And with the exception of Utah and UCLA, the number of NFL players to the number of wins you've gotten translated easily and obviously. Everyone could see the correlation. And I think the Ute number changes because they've already tacked the 11 wins on and you tack on these guys who are going to get drafted. You know, I think the Ute number uh, by Saturday night will will really correlate as well. Um, UCLA is kind of an outlier, but there's always one outlier, right? The stats generally tell the story, but there's usually a hole in them somewhere, and that's the one. Tells the story for 11 of 12 teams, you'll have to lead with, lead with, uh, live with that. Um, there was plenty of speculation that LSU and Alabama would end up being the two teams that had the most players drafted. It's trending that way early on. Uh, you keep an, Emerson, an eye on Clemson, Ohio State. And when you add it up in the first round, it's a straight line between great programs, tons of wins, playoff bursts, national championships, and how many players get drafted. Uh, LSU led the way. They had five guys picked. No surprise there, right? 15-0, national champs. Their quarterback was going to go number one. We all thought, and he did. Joe Burrows went to the Bengals on the first pick. Bama was next at four because, you know, they're Bama, and, and they're always elite. When they aren't the best team in the country, well, then they're second or third. Ohio State had three players picked, including guys two and three. And you really could kind of go three and a half, because Joe Burrow was an Ohio State player. He was an Ohio State recruit, and then he transferred. Uh, so the Buckeyes are elite. Uh, so it's five for LSU, four for Alabama, and three for Ohio State. And then you look at the schools with two, 
and it's Auburn and Georgia and Clemson and Oklahoma and TCU. Okay, TCU is the outlier, but everybody else has been in the playoff pretty recently or won it. Um, I guess Georgia hasn't won it, but Auburn has, and uh, certainly Clemson has. Oklahoma hasn't won it, but they've been in the playoffs multiple times. So TCU is the one outlier producing two NFL teams. And other than that, it's it's pretty much by the book. You know, we think that the most elite talent has gravitated to the Power Five, and sure enough, the Power Five had 31 of the 32 draft picks, and the one exception was Jordan Love. And, of course, it was a quarterback, right? That's an iffy position to develop, and you don't, you can't just, you know, with the, with the linemen, you can say who are the biggest guys, right? And do they have some fundamentals, and, you know, do they have long arms? And, and with the corners and the, the receivers, uh, you know, you can look at speed and the, the size and speed of a linebacker or safety. So it's kind of predictable, and they get the best players. But there was one outlier, and it, w- it was a quarterback with, uh, with Jordan Love. If you break it down by conference, the SEC had 15 of the 32 picks. They came up one pick short of having half of the first-round guys. The SEC stacked. We all think the SEC cheats. We also think the SEC invests more. We think that players like to play places where it matters, and it certainly matters in the SEC. And I also think it's important to note that it's the top half of the SEC. The SEC is not 14 teams deep. You know, nobody from Vanderbilt or Missouri or Arkansas is going in the first round. You know why? Because they're not good. Kentucky's gotten better. They used to be dreadful. But they still don't have first-round picks. The first round, it was five for LSU and four for Alabama and two for Auburn and two for Georgia and one for Florida and one for South Carolina. Well, <laughs> there's the teams who are going to the title game. South Carolina's probably the outlier in that group. I wouldn't lump them over the last decade with the other five teams. Uh, you know, Florida's removed from their glory days. Uh, but they have been decent, and they have been you know, back near the top of their division. Um, not as elite nationally as they were with Urban Meyer. So I think this really kind of played out the way we expected. Um, from the Pac-12, uh, Oregon, USC, and Arizona State each produced a first-rounder. So we'll see how the second and third round goes. Uh, and update all the numbers at the end of the draft Saturday night on Talking Sports and back here Monday morning. All right, stay with us. Uh, more to come. Craig Bowlerjack, Joe Ingles. Joe's up next. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz, Single Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe, to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by your hardworking friends at Mountainland Supply for all your plumbing and irrigation needs. Go to mountainlandsupply.com. Time to welcome in Joe. Joe, good morning. 
Good morning. Joe, I'm curious. We're all curious about, you know, growing up in Australia and your path to the NBA, and we've talked to you about that quite a bit. But now that we've seen the first couple episodes in the Jordan documentary, number one, I'm curious, did you watch it? Uh, I watched it late. I watched it a couple days later than everyone else, but I did get around to watching it. Because that season they're documenting, 97-98, you were born in October of 87, so you would have been 10, 11 years old at that point and living half a world away, and now the NBA is very available all over the globe. But in those days, how much did you know growing up about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, or did you... Or did you come to the sport in the NBA after that? And so this is all uh, basically a history lesson for you. Um, I guess a little bit of both. I I think everyone that played basketball, no matter what country or, or where you grew up, you knew who Michael Jordan was. That's not um, that's a pretty obvious thing. I think. I think regardless of where you lived, he was a. And I guess it said in that kind of documentary or the clips or whatever I've seen, it's like he was just a world like widely world like everyone knew him it didn't matter where you were from like you knew who Michael Jordan was so I knew who he was um, I guess it's seen a little bit of stuff um, I actually used to have the those old like videotapes of a couple of his like Michael Jordan's playground and stuff like that which were um, awesome to watch as a kid but I, I didn't I definitely didn't follow the NBA growing up I, I've said this before a few times like I've I never had we we never had like pay TV in Australia, so we had like five or six channels growing up, um, which were just the local like free like with the local channels, and um, maybe you'd get some highlights on there. Or majority of the time, it was our our own league, the, the NBL, that was shown. But um, it really wasn't until um, I kind of went to Europe and I guess kind of started paying my own bills that I got. Um, more like internet, uh, we had internet growing up, but like more internet and obviously paying for my, my own pay TV when I was living by myself. So that's when I started to watch it a bit more, but that wasn't until 17, 18 years old, probably. Um, so I was definitely, I, I, I'm watching it, learning a lot, um, obviously from those first two that, that came out. Well, that's interesting because they say, particularly for women athletes, you know, when they see women like the WNBA that has helped inspire little girls to think, hey, I can do this because fill-in-the-blank WNBA player, whoever it might be, and that's somebody that I can point toward. You really didn't have that as a kid as far as the NBA. So in your mind, when did the NBA become a possibility or a dream, however you want to phrase it? Uh, When I got guaranteed by the Jazz on January 7, 2015 or whatever it was. Um, I mean, it was just never, like I said, I, I didn't grow up with it um, too much. Like, obviously, like I said, you hear about it, you saw it every now and then, but it wasn't, it wasn't in my face like a, I'm assuming it was for a lot of Americans, the, the kids in America growing up. Um, all my friends that, that are American or that, that play, like oh, all my teammates, everyone that I've played with in Europe, the Americans, their whole dream like growing up was to play in the NBA. Like that was... Right. You played basketball. You wanted to play in the NBA, and um, I've said this a, a few times. My dream growing up was to play for Australia, and was to play for the Adelaide Thirty Sixes, my hometown team. Um, my version, I guess, of the NBA was the NBL, and 
we used to <laughs> go and like like probably a lot of kids and and you guys like we used to go and buy the five ten dollar tickets and sit in the back row in Adelaide and watch the team play and I I had the best time in the world. It was a there was a player on that team that that I'm friends with now who was the best player who who was kind of my hero growing up who I wanted to be like and um, kind of following his footsteps. He played for Australia. He he obviously played for, for Adelaide for his whole career um, he, he didn't move any teams or anything and I wanted to be like him and um, it really wasn't and then I obviously had got to the NBL myself went to Europe it probably wasn't until like late in my European career and, and really until getting to like the Clippers and, and that whole situation that was like oh maybe I can I'm at training camp with the Clippers with these obviously back then they had JJ, Matt Barnes, CP, Blake, DeAndre, the, the team was, was loaded, Jamal Crawford. Um, and at training camp, I was doing some things and I'm like, oh, I, I, I can actually like hold my own a little bit. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe I could make it over here. Um, but before that, it was um, a lot further, of, probably just more of a, a, a dream or a thought than actually thinking I would actually get to play in the NBA. So when you watch those first couple of shows, what do you see uh, with Jordan that really jumps out at you and, and maybe you find that you could apply it today, either individually or as a group? Um, I think the thing that stands out, and I think, I think I knew a little bit about this from stories and watching things and talking to guys that know him and have been around him that, that like, that he was obviously willing to do anything to, to win. And that was obviously sacrificing himself, which he didn't really need to because he was the best player and he was basically unstoppable. But um, the the clip of him, uh, whoever was giving it to pack, like pack, making a play and, and kicking out, was like, we all know he could score 50, whatever he did in those last games. And take over, and they obviously lost those those games that he was scoring. But he could do that any time. But I think realizing that he needed his teammates, he can't like as as good as he was. He still needed that that good team around him. So I think that willingness to um, to sacrifice, I guess, but um, the the desire or whatever to to do whatever it took to win. And a lot of that, a lot of the time, it was him kind of carrying the team by himself, and then having forty or fifty and and doing things he did. But um, I think that that desire, he, he wanted to win more than anything. It wasn't necessarily about him scoring or, or individual awards or stats as he accumulated through his career anyway because he was so good, but that willingness to just do whatever it took to win, which was obviously resulted in six championships and, and being the, the best player ever. I'm wondering how weird it is to be in the States and not playing hoop, because if you're not playing hoop this long, you're probably down in Australia. Uh, yeah, we, me and I have talked about this a lot. It's, it's really, really bizarre to us because usually she, she's never been here really at this time of the year. She has always been playing, so she would usually go back. Um, she did come to a couple of the playoff series and, and whatever, but usually she, she was back in... In, in Australia and, and getting ready for her season. I think their season usually starts about now. So um, I'm usually here by myself. We're usually either in the obviously in the playoffs and so we're on the road or, or I'm at home. Not doing much because we're, we're in a playoff series. Um, yesterday or the day before, we spent the whole day outside. I got 
sunburnt quite a bit actually because I haven't seen the sun in ten years. Um, but yeah, it's it's really it's really bizarre to be here and not not have nothing to do, but not be going into the facility and not be doing what we normally getting on a plane and, and whatever. So it's it's really weird just being at my house every day with the kids with the good weather because we've never had I've never had good weather like this without having to do anything. <laughs> So how often are you talking to the team on Zoom and uh, Quinn and hearing from him and all that? Because I've heard it, it's at least semi-regular. Yeah, pretty regular. Um, I don't know how many times we've done it. This, this, well, I think we're closing in on nearly 50 days, I think, of since we got back from, from that game. And um, obviously the first few weeks were pretty quiet from, from everyone's part. And then we, yeah, everyone, we, we jumped on these... Zoom calls. We've obviously, like I said, we've got group chats that, that constantly are, are buzzing and all that. But um, no, it's good. It's good to obviously we don't we don't we're not going to overdo it and, and have a Zoom chat every day. But we've we've done a, a couple a week probably um, one or two a week for for the last few weeks. It's it's really good just to obviously to see the guys and you get to talk a bit of smack to them and just have a bit of fun and obviously Quinn. Um, takes a bit more of a serious part at the start, but then we usually stay on as players for a little bit after. And um, yeah, it's been, like I said, it's been cool to see everyone. Obviously we can't physically go and actually sit at someone's house or anything. So just to be able to see the guys that you, you used to seeing every day is, has been really cool. Is it correct to say the longer this period of inactivity goes, the longer you'll need to have training to get back to playing real games? You're a smart man. You're a smart you. man. It, uh, yeah, I think, uh, obviously, if we'd had two or three weeks off and we'd come back kind of right away then, it obviously takes less time because guys are uh, a bit... Like I said, we're coming up to, what, nearly two months now, um, really. And um, but that's, a, that's a long time. Like, a lot, a lot of guys would take three, four, five, six weeks off in the summer, depending on when you finish and when the season's obviously over and all that. Um, and doing that, it takes... It's obviously a little different because you, you you kind of go from nothing to slowly building up to, to being ready for, for training camp, where obviously we were... was kind of in, in that part of the season where obviously we had whatever, 15, 18 games and everyone's kind of gearing up and, and getting your body right and mentally you're getting right, ready and um, team-wise, you obviously want to be kind of starting to play some really good basketball heading into the playoffs. So we were in a, a really weird position at the finish because everyone was kind of fine-tuning everything before the playoffs started and obviously trying to trying to get some wins in that back, like the, the last third of the season. So um, you go from that to... Obviously not nothing, but nothing in terms of what we're allowed to do as a team and all that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I I don't want to ruin people's dreams or anything, but I think the longer we're waiting, I think the harder it is for, for not only the league to come back, but uh, like you said, individuals to to get back to, to game shape. And, and obviously there's going to have to be some, some pretty smart people um, with timelines if we do go back to see how much time exactly is needed because you can't. An NBA game is easy as it might look from uh, the grandstand or the, the stand. Sometimes it's uh, it's a quick, fast. You know, obviously we we know how how fast paced and, and skilled it is. So it's um, 
it'll be interesting to, to kind of see what happens because we're, uh, like I said, we're coming up to whatever, just under two months now. Joe Ingles join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Mike Conley won the horse tournament. And a lot lot of us got to see his assortment of horse shots. Now, you've spent a lot of time in the gym, and horse can just be, you know, guys matching 20-foot jumpers, you know, corner threes, whatever. But Mike's spinning the ball on his finger and then punching it off the glass. Have you seen Jimmy's got – no wonder he's doing all that silly thing. (laughs) He's got a bloody $10 million quarter his house. So you've already jammed him up for that, huh? That's part of what the Zoom calls yeah. is about. <laughs> yeah, his his connection kept breaking out because he was walking all over the compound of our home. He kept breaking out because it was it was so big. Have you got any of those shots? And you're uh, you ever play horse with him? You got any of those shots you can hit him with, or is it just uh, him and his ambidextrous? What's what's the point of that? Yeah, uh, I think uh, Mike's kind of in his own league with that because there's not many. There's not many players around the league that can. I mean, there's not many players. There's some players in the league that can't shoot with their strong hand. <laughs> Never mind uh, throwing it off their, their opposite hand, which they actually prefer more than their strong hand. Like that's just a weird whole concept in itself. So, Mike's definitely uh, one of a kind. I, I think we all, obviously, the Jazz guys and, and probably a lot of guys that played with him in Memphis were were pretty confident he was going to win that when it, when it came out and no matter who he's playing, because there's not many people. Like, I'm not going to walk into a, a tournament and shoot my right hand because it's got no chance of going in. I don't even dribble with my right hand, so I'm not going to try to shoot with it. And, and he, like I said, it's more comfortable for him almost shooting with his opposite hand. So we know what everyday life is like uh, here in Salt Lake City. Uh, what's everyday like going on back in your home country? Do you know? Yeah, I mean, they've been... Um, that's pretty much they got locked down pretty quickly. Um, kind of when the news came out, yeah, I think we, I think we actually things got locked down before the US did, um, and we had nowhere near as many cases at the time. But they were pretty quick to act on it. Um, now I think the the whole process now is obviously um, similar to here, uh, essential um, work or workers are obviously still allowed to work and, and do what they do, but everything else is pretty much shut down I think they're on a like you can only leave the house with with one other person like gatherings is, is only you and kind of one other person um, you can obviously go outside do it for a walk or run or whatever but um, yeah very similar to here it's basically don't leave the house unless you really really need to or, um, or have to so I think it's um, I mean I think it's so obviously so necessary at this point and um I think we've we've seen kind of worldwide the the cases are slowly dropping, and um, that doesn't mean we can all <laughs> jump up now and, and go out. I think we need to still be smart about it. Obviously, if you need to get out, there's no. I don't think there's too much an issue with you getting out, going for a walk, or going to the shops quickly. But um, obviously, it's it's kind of wait until you really need to, rather than uh, I guess how we would do it normally if we. Um, if we were living our regular kind of lives. Well, Joe, enjoy another week with the kids. Enjoy two more episodes of uh, the Jordan uh, show and uh, I don't two know. more episodes of Naked and Afraid. 
Yeah, uh, Ozark apparently. A lot of people are getting into Ozark. I don't know. I don't know what happened in season three, but I'm on Twitter. I don't watch it. I haven't seen it. But man, season I haven't seen it all, but I've heard a lot about it. And yeah. I might just, I might just watch it on YouTube or something to get the breaking news and tweet about it and just ruin people's uh, <laughs> nights. Okay. All right, and watch that Jordan show. And no matter what you do, don't uh, don't start slapping teammates in the face like Charles Oakley. Okay. I'm definitely going to do that to George next time I see him. Jeez. <laughs> All right, Joe. Hey, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. There's Joe Ingles. He checks in with us every single week. So does Craig Bowlerjack, and the TV voice of the Utah Jazz is coming up next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, Craig Bolojack joining us now. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Bowler, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Bet you never thought you'd be a movie star. And now here you are, Groundhog Day Part 2. Every part day, two. Every day the same as the last, right, Bowler? You know what? Uh, I watched that movie not long ago, uh, just before this uh, uh, pandemic, and that's really one of my favorite movies, but I'm not sure if it will be after this. <laughs> not sure. Every time I saw that clock click to 6 o'clock and heard Sonny and Cher, kind of feel like that's what we're doing every day. They say I love won't pay the rent before it's earned. Our money's always spent. I guess that's so we don't have a plot. <laughs> oh, I made my day there, PK. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it is. I want to throw you a little... I want to throw you a little bit of a curveball. You know, well, obviously we bring you on and talk basketball, but you've been in this market uh, as far as a broadcaster pretty much longer than anybody now and as a media member. There's very few guys who can match your duration. And Utah this week, Utah football I'm speaking of, has an opportunity uh, through this weekend to get up to nine guys drafted. I mean, a realistic chance that they're going to get between six and nine guys. And I'm wondering, for somebody who came here, I think it was in the mid-'80s when Utah's football program was floundering, how amazing has that been for you to see what is essentially the rise of Utah football? Yeah, it's. i got to be honest, and thanks a lot for reminding me how long, I, how long I've been here. <laughs> it is an amazing story. It really is worthy to tell one day. Uh, by someone about uh, just the whole path taken by by the Utes to be where they are in a P5 conference, uh, the Pac-12, uh, the coaches that came through with the personalities, by the way, that were so interesting with the Fossils and the McBrides, uh, and now you got Witt 
his tenure is is amazing, PK, considering what what goes on in college football today, and the need for by the alums who write some pretty hefty checks uh, to be satisfied with you know titles and and championships. But I think one thing that's amazing is that Utah takes maybe three star athletes and turns them into NFL potential draft picks. Uh, and that number you just mentioned, nine, is impressive. You know, I, when I got up this morning, I read some of the comments from, you know, listeners, DJ, to what you wrote. And some say, great. Some say, well, win a championship. And it's a myriad of emotions about it. Uh, you know, teams win titles. And also, obviously, individuals that have a high level of talent, you know, obviously help. And Utah has, has a, a basket full of talent. Um, but also I know there's some disappointment that comes with that, that they had, they haven't won a Pac-12 championship along the way close a couple of times now. But it tells you, though, that the, the ability to go to that program and I think develop players into high-level athletes that obviously NFL teams have interest in. So it's kind of a two-sided coin to the story, but individually they've found some gems and they've developed into some great football players but it is a great story pk to mention where they where they were where they are now and um i think the other part of it is to the ability to recruit as you know in all sports but especially in football your ones and twos speaking of depth threes and fours take you to another level and for me that's what utah has been able to do uh during the, the time i've covered them is to have you know some in, in, in very uh, impressive starters at times, but now they have the depth that goes with it, and that I think was the turning point for this uh, for this school for this team over which tenure. Before you were the jazz announcer on lockdown with an incredible story in Oklahoma City. Uh, before you were the CBS play-by-play guy calling the NCAA tournament, dropping the legendary line to Gordon Monson, my underwear's soaking wet, the day in Boise that four, <laughs> four games went right down to the wire. That was GMI right there. And then uh, before that, you, you were uh, ESPN uh, calling college football and basketball with an analyst who said something. I don't even know if we're allowed to repeat it on the air, but I think he shocked you when he... <laughs> He dropped the line. Were you in Texas that night? Was it Kellen Winslow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That took a pair of what? Huh? Yep. Did you say that? Yep. You were the you really B- just say that. Yeah, right. You yeah. were the you were the BYU football and basketball play by play guy when I got to town. Now that may seem weird to people who know you in this phase of your career, but that was what you did. Yeah. And you were on the road yep. for um, you know, September to March calling Cougar games. And so I'm curious now, in a draft, you know, the whole lead-up to the draft, there's all this talk about, hey, did the Aggies have a first or second round or top ten uh, yeah. quarterback? And do right. the Utes have six, seven, or eight, nine guys drafted? And then BYU, they may not have anybody drafted. Maybe they will have somebody go late, but maybe they won't have anybody drafted. It's changed dramatically for a lot of reasons, and we've been over all the reasons. But if your career comes full circle, and you are – you know, Tom Homo's right-hand guy. What could you say or do to 
change the controllable stuff for BYU? You, you can't control that Utah's in the Pac-12. They just are. What could you change the controllable stuff? Because BYU was a team that had the quarterback drafted in the first round and had all the guys drafted. And the Utes and Aggies didn't have either. And the whole thing's just right. flipped on its head right now. Well, there was a time, you're right, when I was uh, when I came to town, Jim Nance left, and then so I got the call to say, uh, you want to call some football? And I said, you mean with BYU, the 84 national champions? And I said, absolutely. And then the Ty Detmer era comes to, comes into play, and a Heisman Trophy with it, and tight ends and receivers and uh, defensive linemen of Jason Buck and Sean Knight and J.C. Von Collins, linebackers, and they just had a, a plethora of talent down there and different time different place different coach uh and also in a conference i think that's where i would say the whisper to tom's ear independence you know at first maybe sounded sexy because you can control your schedule but in my opinion i think fans need something to look forward to in november where you have rivalries and yeah you play tennessees and yeah you can get a chance to uh, still play utah on occasion uh, you know, that rivalry should never die, in my opinion. But, of course, you know, the two uh, athletic directors may have different, a different way of going about it in the future. But um, I still think you have to have something to look forward to once you get through um, uh, the month of August and September. And back in the day, the WAC, the, you know, the, the Mountain West Conference at least gives you opportunities to recover uh, from a, a slow start to find your way back into – potentially playing for a conference championship and I think a lot of times since I've covered you know BYU to where they are now you know it's it's you know on on a schedule it's been impressive to see who they play uh from one through six the first six weeks but if you don't score wins it doesn't really matter if you can knock off you know UMass uh etc because at that time there's there's nothing else to play for except to go to Hawaii. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I would start. I, I just think that the experiment was interesting, but a conference, I think, in this particular era would help bode well for, for, the, for BYU. I think it would just draw interest and maybe even draw a few more interested players to the program. That's just me. So, by conference, obviously a P5 would be a no-brainer, but are you also talking G5? Well, if you have to, I mean, I think, again, PK, it's, it's a changing, ever-changing, um, you know, environment of football. Yeah, obviously a P5 would be what you would like. And, and I keep thinking to myself, you know, BYU's name alone, you know, should have that draw. There's complications I get on Sunday play and other things, uh, but maybe it's just the football program that goes and the other programs, again, have to disperse into other areas of competition. But uh, if but again, this goes back to a church decision on where they believe they feel that the program represents them the best. And that's something I really don't know that much about. I mean, on the outside I do, but on the, in, on the inside, you know, I really can't read the minds of what, what the, the, the ultimate goal is. And I think fans, and again, this is always a great topic of conversation and one that many are passionate about. But many want to be a, a strong football program. Others understand that it's a more or less a, an opportunity for, for BYU uh, to be out there and to get uh, their message uh, across, uh, and that the program, if it's five and six or six and six, 
then it's okay. Others want more. I hope they find balance sooner than later. I mean, I maybe it just needs to be a conversation among members and you know, and 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 the church downtown of just getting clarity on what they are and who they represent. Uh, that's kind of who. When I talk to fans, that seems to be the biggest uh, concern that many would like BYU to be more competitive and relive those days of glory under Lavelle. But, you know, also times have changed a lot in the social media aspect. Uh, the honor code has seemed to be more uh, because of Lavelle. That wasn't brought up as much. I remember when I covered them at KSL, it was handled more internally, but also now with the social media aspect of it, it becomes much more of a story. PK, as you know, and DJ, uh, that that uh, through social media, uh, the privacy issue becomes a little bit more, mm, I guess, out in public for all to see. So those those are things that always obviously need to be discussed and continue to be discussed, and how you define it. And uh, I think a lot of times, young athletes at 18, LDS or not, may tend to shy away from that. Uh, but also, there's other schools that go after LDS athletes, Oregon, uh, USC, UCLA, the Pac-12 is full of LDS athletes, and very good ones, by the way. And I think that's what is upsetting to many is that um, those that are LDS athletes have not chosen BYU as their number one destination. Um, So, again, those would be a couple, three topics to discuss with Mr. Tom Homo, who I, I respect and know, and I see him at jazz games all the time. He's in a tough situation, I truly believe. I'm trying to balance this entire thing. So you were around for Jordan's whole run. You saw a lot of it up close, obviously, covering the finals in 97 and 98. You watched the first two hours of The Last Dance. What did you come away with new? Either new stuff you didn't know uh, or a new perspective to something you did know. Uh, The dislike for Jerry Krause uh, was the first thing. and the fact that really they wanted to dismantle this team prior to the run for the sixth title uh, in a very strong way, and that uh, they had told Phil Jackson, you're done. Amazing that you can come back for one year and still have the focus to try to you know, hold this team together. And they were going to rebuild around Jordan, and he was very vocal about the fact that, um, you know, I don't want to be around for a rebuild. This is uh, who we are, and why break up a team that just won a title? So, and then also, I think in part two, uh, just how I guess angry and probably he had taken himself out of the mix of emotion, Scottie Pippen, uh, with that team for quite a while. And, and I think even how Michael had said that he felt like he had let the team down for not playing and having the surgery late. Really, some interesting uh, nuggets of information there. And I know there's more to come that involved the Jazz. I'm really anxious to see how this thing plays out. But I think you also start to understand just the competitive nature of Michael Jordan and why he is who he is and why he accomplished the things that he did. I mean, just an assassin, really. I mean, that's uh, – and you know what I think, too, guys? I, there's, there's just the beginning of this story, and it's going to play out. It has to, is that he had to have the appreciation of his father who becomes tragically, who tragically dies, and there's a lot to that story. Uh, and I'm wondering just how deep they go with that. But Michael makes a little bit of a claim or a comment about that. And I think that may truly be the driving force uh, to, to, much, to much of this story. 
So, Jordan or LeBron? <laughs> oh, man. If I had to, someone said pick, I'd go MJ. Because? I mean, I mean, just, I guess I saw him so up close during our time uh, locally with the Jazz and how he was able to win two titles away from, I thought, a title team at the time, especially the 90, uh, 98 team. Uh, and I think witnessing just, I know LeBron is in the assassin, you know, the assassin category, much like a Stockton. Stockton doesn't have titles, but LeBron does. But the competitive nature of Michael Jordan and the way that he was able to uh, uh, knock down shots and I think also lead a team uh, was impressive. LeBron is in that same category. Don't get me wrong by any means. And his career is yet to be finished. But uh, if I had to pick the two, I would think uh, it would have to be Jordan. I've seen LeBron, and I just am in I awe at his uh, skill set as well. Uh, but also, Michael just to me just has it for, tips it for me. Just is a tipping point of just the way that he uh, was uh, gifted beyond doubt to me. Um, I think the physical attributes just a little bit outweigh what LeBron does. That's just me. Would you be surprised to learn that Joe Ingles saw uh, Mike Conley win the horse contest, saw his gym at home, and immediately busted his chops over that? Doesn't surprise me a bit. <laughs> I didn't think so. He probably said, hey, Mike, you know, it's tough that you have to have a, your own gym at home, right? Uh, he was going on about how big it was and how massive it was and just, you know, it was. genuine yeah, disgust. Yeah, like it wasn't just a little teeny gym just for one guy to work out, man. This is the whole deal. I was I was impressed myself. And you 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 know we were we were on that conference call the other day, the Zoom, and um, you know Mike uh, was fun to talk to, fun to see him. I didn't realize in that conversation too just how strong he is with his offhand. I mean he's a lefty, but he can uh, he basically was able to destroy people early with his right hand in play. And he talked about that as a kid. This guy's a professional horse player. I mean, he's been doing this all of his life, taking on different, uh, uh, you know, anybody who wants to take him on, he'd take him on and, and basically won. He, he was, yeah, he was, he was prepared for this competition, no doubt. So he's got the gym going on there so he can get up as many shots as he wants and, other guys aren't getting up anything as far as shots or you know whatever training they're able to do. It seems like it's all over the map. What do you anticipate when this thing finally reconvenes as far as how it'll look like in terms of a mini training camp or whatever you want to call it? Well, I do know the Jazz has sent out some equipment to, team, to, to players to try to stay in shape. And I think Mike had a good comment, too. I'm not sure what Joe has said, but Bottom line is um, just being in shape is one thing. Basketball shape is a whole other beast. So I think that what Adam Silver has spoke of over the last month about, um, you know, camps and training camp or personal, you know, time to get into shape and then bring them in about a 25-day I guess that was his plan, right? A 25-day plan to allow players to get some time uh, to work out on their own and bring teams together for a, for a training camp. Didn't speak of any games, by the way. So you beat up on each other. 
during the course of those 10 game or 10 days uh, in the camp situation. And then you get into a, some situation, whether it's Vegas in a quarantine state to go play. The whole thing is intriguing. I don't know how it's going to turn out, PK. I, I miss the game. I know fans do as well. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know when the timetable is going to happen or where they flip the switch, but hopefully it will be the right decision at the right time. Um, and, of course, when you deal with players of that level, you, you, know, you always worry about are they really in shape. And then I'm sure teams who have a, a big investment financially with all of them fear of injury before they can even restart the season. And how do they start the season? With games or do they go straight uh, to the postseason? And if so, the Jazz would open up as a, as a, a four seed. And obviously, they wouldn't play at home, but they would play somewhere if it's Vegas um, against, strangely, the Oklahoma City Thunder if they stay with the current top eight in both the East and the West. So I'm more I'm anxious every day to get this, you know, that we get healthy, uh, that we get the, the green light to get back at it. But, again, I don't want to have to come back and revisit this as well, guys. I know you don't either, and hopefully we get it right the first time. I assume they'll try to squeeze in some regular season games. Maybe the calendar won't allow it, but the thought of sending everybody to Vegas, no fans, and one of the best teams in the league, and it didn't, or or more than one of the best teams in the league, some combination of the best teams in the league, get knocked out quickly in a four-game playoff series. They don't have the crowd. They don't have home court. They haven't gotten back into the flow and become what they were. Would make the rest of the postseason kind of a, like, really, this isn't a real deal. You know, mm-hmm. if some combination of the Bucks, Lakers, and Clippers went down in the first round to what looks like clearly an inferior team, it would taint the whole thing. So I would think that they'll do whatever they can. And maybe their hands will be tied; they won't be able to do anything. But I would think they would do whatever they can to provide six to eight to ten regular season games that essentially would be preseason games, so that everybody was the real deal or, or closer to it at least when the playoffs started. Would you say those DJ those games played would count in the standings? Yeah, or they'd they have just, to. Yeah, yeah, they, they would. Because if you look at the final eighteen games, you know the Jazz have Denver, the Jazz have the Clippers, the Jazz have the Lakers twice. Those are you know that's the way it worked out. That the Jazz obviously in that four spot chasing the three above them, and how would it play out? Could the Jazz actually elevate to a two or a three spot? Or would you tumble down to a five and lose a home court advantage? So that's that's a scenario. Yeah. I don't think you play the full 18, but maybe you would get a six or eight game schedule that would allow you to play those opponents above you to help figure out how you would actually stack up uh, I, in the West. I would be pleasantly surprised if home court mattered in this postseason because I'm I would agree. completely anticipating that it's on neutral court. If they can do right. it with home court and with fans, that would be great. I just don't see it. Also, I would be pleasantly surprised if they played 82 regular season games, but I think it's getting pretty clear that the calendar's getting squeezed and we've heard they want to be done by Labor Day, so I don't see how they're getting to 82. You know, I just don't think they're going to play all 18 of those games. Yeah, I don't think so either. And they also are focusing ahead to 2021 and how many games do you play there or allowed to play? Do you try to squeeze in a few extra and actually bump your schedule to 90 and give your, you know, my thought is if you do that, maybe you can recoup some revenue, uh, put teams back on solid ground or somewhat, and maybe you give the the NBA a couple of breaks instead of just the all-star break next year. Maybe you split the season in half and have 
a week off here and a week off there and just keep ramping it up. Depends on how the players and the union and you know how the owners come together and make some big decisions on this because they both have obviously financial um, you know input into this whole decision making process. Bowler, as always, thank you. Hey guys, be safe. We'll see you soon. Craig Bowler, Jack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.